Many women suffer in silence or just think that incontinence, pelvic pain, or painful intercourse is just a part of life, but it doesn't have to be that way. Physical therapy can provide a non-invasive, non-surgical option for many. Through Sarah Bush Lincoln's Physical Therapy Department, trained specialists like physical therapist Shelby Niebrigge can help women correct these issues and help them regain control of their lives. We'll learn more about it, how it works, and who can benefit. So don't go away. Severe back pain couldn't stop Amy from teaching yoga. Knee pain wouldn't stop Beth from dancing with her husband George. Arthritis in the shoulder couldn't stop Kyle's joy of teeing it up on the golf course. They discovered world-class surgery and rehab with Sarah Bush Lincoln Orthopedics. Learn how you can get back in the game with the largest orthopedic and sports medicine team in downstate Illinois. Sarah Bush Lincoln. Welcome to Health Styles. I'm your host, Lori Banks. And today we're talking about pelvic physical therapy with physical therapist Shelby Niebrigge from Sarah Bush Lincoln. How are you, Shelby? Good. How are you doing, Lori? Thanks for coming. You said you were nervous. I am nervous. Don't be nervous. <laughs> All right. Well, this is an easy question. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and the scope of your practice in physical therapy here yeah. at Sarah Bush Lincoln. So um, like Lori said, I'm a physical therapist. Um, so that encompasses a lot of things. Here at our Mattoon Clinic, we see um, a lot of outpatient orthopedics. So a lot of post-ops just in general come to our clinic. So probably about 40 to 50% of my caseload is um, just your what you would regularly think of, of PT. So post knees, post hips, post shoulders, um, and then to just like acute low back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, things like that. Um, and then the other 50 to 60, depending on what my caseload is, I see pelvic floor patients. Um, so that's my specialty that I see here. And we should specify, this is pelvic floor PT just for women. It is a specialty for women, for men and children, but you are just certified in females, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, so what kind of, what, where did your interest in that come from? Um, so we had some like seminars in school, but it was, wasn't really taught in general, but I had a clinical instructor that kind of dabbled in a little bit. Um, it's a lot of education, so um, I learned a lot from her. And then at my previous job, they wanted to um, continue. There was a previous pelvic floor therapist there, and they wanted to continue that. And I had enough interest to go to my first class. And yeah, it, they're, they're just a fun population to treat. Um, it's very rewarding because a lot of times it's surprising. Um, people don't necessarily know that there's help out there for, for this. So, All right. Well, that's what I was going to, my next question is what kind of conditions can pelvic floor physical therapy help? Okay. So we're going to break it up into like five categories. Our first is our bladder symptoms, which are probably the most common that people think of. So this encompasses urinary incontinence, urgency, frequency, difficulty emptying. Um, there's conditions like interstitial cystitis or IC, painful bladder syndrome, um, anything like that with urinary wise. Um, with bowel, it can be diarrhea, constipation, fecal incontinence, um, IBS and, um, symptoms, things like that. Um, and then we have our pain category. So that can kind of encompass anything with bowel, 
with urinary, anything like that, um, but also with just pelvic pain either at rest or with activity, with intercourse, with running, um, any, anything like that. And part of my um, patient population is people who've experienced sexual trauma, so you know, getting them back to a, a comfortable position with um, anything penetrative. Um, so unfortunately, that encompasses a large group of people, um, sadly. Um, and then our next couple categories, we have prolapse. Um, so prolapse can kind of have a lot of um, symptoms with those, depending on what organ is prolapsed. Um, and then we have our antepartum and postpartum patients. So um, we can see patients during their pregnancy and also afterwards um, for returning them to activities, what they need and want to do. Okay. So I think we need a little physiology lesson on the pelvic floor. <laughs> I know this is a podcast and we don't have visual aids, but explain where is this region located and what all is it? I mean, we, we gather, we know where it's located, yeah. but explain what's going sure. on down there. It's like the secret part of the it body, is. right? Nobody talks about <laughs> no. it. <laughs> um, so our pelvic floor muscles is a group of muscles. Um, there's three different layers, but they all work collectively to help support our pelvis. So everybody knows where our pelvis is, our, our bony, bony anatomy in the front. Um, so our pelvic floor muscles, they attach from our pubic bone in the front and they wrap underneath and then attach to our tailbone or our coccyx in the back. And then on the sides to our butt bones or our sits bones, um, what you can feel when you're sitting. So that is kind of where all those muscles attach. Like I said, there's kind of three different layers, but collectively they, they help support um, the organs, the pelvic organs, and then just the pelvis in general during um, your everyday life, really. So how are these muscles different than, say, like the muscles in the knee or the shoulder? So I always compare it to like your bicep muscle. We have our humerus, we have our long bone to support our bicep. Um, our pelvic floor muscles, all the attachments are, their bony attachments are all on the outside. So if you think of it as like a trampoline or a hammock, so it really relies a lot on the muscular support, the flexibility, the strength to uphold those organs, um, you know, with, again, with activities. So it, it's, I feel like it's, it's more important to address these muscles because we don't have necessarily the bony anatomy or the bony support, um, directly like behind or right right by those muscles. Well, and it kind of makes sense why you have issues in those areas because it's just this muscle and there's not, it's got to, it's got to rely on its own self to hold all that up. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah, I know. All right. So when I think about physical therapy and I've seen physical therapy, I've done it. Um, you know, you think about the kinds of exercises you do, and then you think, how does that work down here? How do you strengthen these muscles that are in that pelvic region. So um, a PT's favorite word is it depends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So again, it kind of depends on how our muscles are presenting. So um, we normally do a internal vaginal or rectal exam, again, depending on what your symptoms are. Um, From there, we're able to decide where we fall on a spectrum of muscles. Um, a lot of times patients fall into two different categories 
They can be hypertonic in their muscles, meaning they have a lot of tone. Um, their muscles are a little bit more tight. Symptoms like that would include, a lot of times include incontinence, any urgency, urinary urgency, frequency, constipation, pelvic pain can a lot of times go with that. Um, so in that category, we focus a lot on stretching and getting mobility throughout our pelvis, our back, um, your hips, everything like that, and just kind of getting those muscles to move um, to get some blood flow going throughout those throughout that whole area. And then on the flip side of that, we have our hypotonic muscle group. So again, low tone. So this is more of a strength component, um, which I feel like that's the benefit of doing an internal exam because people who just largely know about the pelvic floor is you automatically think of kegels right Mm -hmm. um but there's a patient population that kegels can actually make your symptoms worse so our hypotonic those are our traditional kegel patients right we need to strengthen the pelvic floor but we also look at other um groups of muscles around our pelvis so our core our our back our glutes our hips all of those muscle groups that can help support the pelvic floor um, so it's not putting so much weight and pressure on the pelvic floor but kind of just strengthening all around our pelvis in general so so I know this is another it depends question Uh but say someone comes in for incontinence Mm -hmm. how long is it after they've worked with you before they start seeing results so I normally see my patients um, like one time a week they're about 45 to 60 minute um, treatment sessions And pretty consistently, like the first four weeks, I'll see them every week. I feel like four weeks, four sessions, I can normally go over all my education pieces. We can get a good idea of what's working, what they need to be doing at home. And then, um, you know, some people will will be good in three to four weeks. If they're a little bit more complex, um, you know, we may still see them, but decreased frequency. So I'll see them every other week every three weeks, something like that. Because a lot of the things that we're doing in here is you're doing at home. You got to be willing to change some things at home, um, you know, add some different exercises, things like that. That's what I was going to say. There is a home component to this to to be successful, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. (laughs) So what has been some of the reactions to some of your patients who've maybe suffered from incontinence for years and thinking, well, this is just part of life. This is just how it is. And then they see results. Yeah. I I always find it funny whenever I'm like doing my initial evaluation. And a lot of times um, people bring up, you know, my mother had this, my grandmother had this, like thinking it's a genetic component, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's okay. Um, But yeah, a lot of people are just surprised. um, And that's the part of my job that I love is I love, you know, that they're able to go jump on the trampoline with their kids without leaking or return to run or just go throughout their normal day without wearing a pad. Um, so I, I, I love some of my older clients who literally have been in a panty liner or a pad for 20 plus years and now are like walking without a pad or having to worry about carrying one on them and things like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's, that's the rewarding part of my job. That's what I, I love this area and this specialty so much, um, is because they can, find surprises in in treatment um, that they didn't necessarily know was there. 
I'm going to throw this question at you. So urinary incontinence, that is Mm -hmm. not just a normal part of aging. That's not just, oh, you've had a couple of children and this is what you get to look forward to. Correct. Yeah. And that's kind of... I think that's a misnomer out there. People just, women are just like, well, that's just me. Yeah. And it's been a common misconception that it's like, oh, this is what it is. This is what it is about being a female and um, having children, having, you know a couple vaginal deliveries, but no, it's, it's a muscle just like any other part of your body. And we can train that muscle, um, which is why we as physical therapists can treat this part of the body is because it's muscles. Yeah. So who's a good candidate? We talked about, you know, women with urinary incontinence, who else is a good candidate? So, you know, any of those symptoms that we kind of went over before, you know, any kind of bowel constipation, fecal incontinence, any pelvic pain, um, you know, this can be, you know, just general, like getting really bloated. If we haven't had a bowel movement in a while, people who suffer from endometriosis, if they're running to the bathroom and they know exactly where every single bathroom is and every place <laughs> that they go, um, you know, some urgency and frequency and things like that. So, um, I think the key is, is that you got to be willing to change some things and, you know, and to make some real effort, um, to, to change it. Um, I think that's, that's kind of the biggest thing. Okay. So you talked about willing to change some things. What are some things that maybe all of us, some of us do that are really detrimental or not really doing us any favors? I think the hardest thing is like giving up uh, coffee, not giving up, but decreasing caffeine, caffeine, sodas, things like that. That seems to be the hardest for people. And then, um, Two, just not, I guess, using the bathroom just out of a just because type of thing as a safety net Mm -hmm. um, and kind of creating some good bladder habits for yourself and not just going to every bathroom that you see. When we first talked with you, you said one of the worst things, and you said, well, blame our mothers is when you're kids, you're getting ready to go in the car and they're like, your mom's like, okay, everyone go to the bathroom. Yeah. And you said that that's not a good thing to go when you really don't have to go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to break that habit. Sorry, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Is that because then we're training our bladder to, it doesn't know when it should really yeah, needs to go right is that- so our bladder has sensors in it basically that um, when our bladder gets full it sends a signal to our brain to say okay it's time to empty and your brain you know ultimately says okay it's time or no it's not time mm-hmm. so over time you can create a habit that your brain says okay it's time to empty all the time right and so our sensors get kind of off whack so what we're trying to do is normalize what is my bladder full urge versus what is my habit urge? What is my normal? What have I been doing for the last couple of years? Um, same thing. A lot of those, um, triggers can be walking in the door and that's the first thing you got to do is run to the bathroom. Um, you may have just left or you just urinated or you just went to the bathroom before you left. Um, but you all of a sudden have to go. That's, that's a habit. That's a urinary habit. Um, same thing with water can also be a trigger for people either washing their hands or in the shower or hearing water um, that can automatically make a trigger to have to go to the bathroom same thing our bladder isn't just automatically full in that moment it's just developed these habits um, over time it's sort of like eating and food (laughs) knowing when you're hungry versus 
thinking you're hungry because yes. that cookie is just exactly <laughs> you can convince yourself you're hungry at any time <laughs> and then what about okay this is the other one mother um don't you know it was so bad you're not supposed to hold it you're supposed to you know you shouldn't walk around with a full bladder that's bad too um to an extent so our normal voiding time should be between three to four hours depending on you know a lot of things but um sometimes if we hold it for too long um, that can put us at risk for your our uh, UTI. Mm-hmm. So, um, like my teachers are the worst at this. We oh, are yeah. the worst. Oh, at this. yeah, because you have patients all day. Yes. So, um, you know, I see my coworkers like running to the bathroom between their two minutes between their patients. So, um, a lot of times with people who are on another schedule, they they can't tend to their own urges or or whatever. So they hold their urine all morning. So. You know, that can put us at risk for urinary or uh, UTI as well. So, Shelby, I wanted to ask, how? what are the treatment options for women who've just had, you, you mentioned postpartum issues. What are some of the things that those ladies come in with and what are you doing to help them? So a lot of times at your six-week follow-up, you'll get kind of clearance to return to intercourse, return to exercise, things like that. Um, the funny thing is about this clearance um, is that you haven't done them, so how do you know how they're going to go? Um, and that's kind of the last visit that you have as a mom, really. All the visits are for your for your child, and so there's no follow-up point. So you really don't know how it's going to go until you do it. So a lot of times it can be pain with intercourse, um, you know, returning to exercise. Sometimes there can be some urinary incontinence. Or just in general, our core is really weak after our muscles have stretched for baby to allow to grow. And so activating those core muscles and those pelvic floor muscles can be really hard. You know, we can, our muscles are just not as coordinated because they've been overstretched, overworked for, you know, nine months. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of change um, in the muscular component, um, the muscular flexibility and the ability to contract those muscles. Also, another part of that is if they had any um, vaginal tearing or anything like that, we can look at the scar mobility and making sure that's all moving appropriately. Um, And that goes for C-section mamas as well, um, to make sure their C-section scar is healing nicely. Um, You know, that gets cut through a lot of layers, so Mm -hmm. that can affect our core strength, you know, being able to lift your child properly and and things like that well if you think that you might be a candidate for this based on some of the conditions that that shelby talked about earlier how do you approach this with your doctor because you can't just call here and say i want to make an appointment with shelby you have to have a referral right correct yes so how do you bring it up with your doctor so i think a lot of these things are just not talked about Mm -hmm. because we normalize them um, so my first ad- piece of advice is to talk about it. You know, if it's bothersome to you to bring it up to your provider, if they don't know anything about it, then they can't, they can't offer, um, treatment as well. Um, if you have brought it up and, you know, they're either unaware that this is a service, you know, I'd just kindly bring it up and just say that you have heard about it. You're curious about it. And a lot of times doctors are, are very welcoming to it it's a conservative care it's you know it's covered by insurance things like that so 
you know, you can just say that you have heard about it, you're interested in it, you know, would you be willing to write a script um, or a referral to pelvic floor therapy? And this script can come from any of your providers. It doesn't have to be, you know, your gynecologist or anything like that. Um, it can come from your primary care, your nurse practitioner, you know, whoever, whoever you are seeing care for. Shelby, what happens if you're treating someone after so many weeks and you're finding they're not getting results? Then what, what's the next course of action for them? So depending on where their referral came from, if it was already a specialty doc like a urologist or a gynecologist or a urogyne or anything like that, um, if it just came from your primary care uh, physician, I, I normally would have you go back to that physician and dive in deeper um, for, for something else to get a referral to, to a more specialty care. Normally we'll see improvement like Within two months, I'd say, within that eight-week time frame, we should see some improvement. If there's just, like, nothing that is improved, then we'll we'll normally do a referral back. Or um, I've actually had some instances here, and the, the gynecologist has been very receptive to um, some younger patients that had actually had to dive in a little bit deeper. So, so. Two months, and given that the the patient is doing their home care, Correct. the thing you've got to do the stuff at home and change yes. the habits yes. to make it really work. Yep. All right. Well, this has been so interesting, and again, as you said, it's a topic that you know no one wants to talk about. And they just sort of think it's normal. It's not, mm-hmm. and there is help available. So, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. If you think pelvic floor physical therapy might be for you, be sure to speak to your primary care provider about this option. And remember that this type of PT is also available to men and children. Just look for a qualified specialist in your area. The information we present in today's podcast should not be considered a substitute for medical care and is for informational purposes only. Talk to your health care provider if you have questions or concerns. And that's our podcast. We thank you for listening. To learn more about the services and providers at Sarah Bush Lincoln, just head over to our website at sarahbush.org. That's Sarah with an H. Until next time, this is Lori Banks, your host for Health Styles. Have a great day.